Good to see you guys. Pastor Susie told me that you guys have been preaching or, or going through the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and that I'll be closing out this series. And I was like, oh, no pressure. That it's going to be the end of this long series that you guys have been, un- been doing. And it's, the series is called Christ Our Joy. He is our joy, amen. Right? He's our joy. He, he is the source of our joy. Um, and, you know, I feel honored to close out the series for you guys. And I hope that I can do it justice. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your smartphones, let's turn to Philippians 4. And uh, it's a very famous passage. A lot of you guys probably have it memorized. But um, I'll be reading from Philippians 4, verse 10, all the way down to the end of the, the book. Right? And I'll read it to you guys. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought, oh, to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory Riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace and the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, um, this is, I, I believe that for a lot of people, you know, in this passage, you guys probably know um, uh, verse 13 the most, right? I can do all things through Christ or through Him who strengthens me. Uh, but this is a very uh, important passage. And it's, it kind of is a culmination of what Paul has uh, been talking about throughout this letter to the Philippians. And, um, and you know, uh, Philippians is one of Paul's prison epistles, right? He's sitting in prison as he writes this. It's uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and I believe Philemon are the four letters that he sends while he's in prison. And he talks about it in chapter 1. I probably went through it with Pastor Susie. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my and, the, and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Right? We can also get a glimpse of this in this last little final greeting that Paul gives. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Right? And so what he's, you know, when Paul mentions Caesar's household, he's not talking about like Caesar's family members. Right? He's t- like back then, the household was considered all the people that was like in, like, 
associated with the palace. Right? So there's Caesar and his family and like all of the slaves and all of the servants and all of the guards and all the people that were associated with Caesar would be considered a part of his household. And so, you know, he's, he's sitting in prison and he's able to reach these people, these people that were employed in Caesar's household. And, uh, and they've actually been able to be converted into Christianity. So he's in Rome, he's imprisoned. And he writes these letters in some of the most, like the worst circumstances of his life. Right? This is not, you know, I've been arrested enough times to know that it's not fun being in prison, right? Although I, when I tell my prison stories, people like always think I had a lot of fun, but it's not fun, right? <laughs> being in prison is not fun. And Paul is in prison. He's lost his freedom. And, and he's writing these letters, but he writes it with so much joy and so much hope. There's so much hope in his words, so much joy in his words. And I believe there's a running theme in the book of Philippians. And if you read Philippians and the other, um, like the the prison epistles or the imprisonment epistles, uh, there's this running theme that you get from Paul. And it's to not base our lives on the natural. To not base our lives on what we see in our natural circumstances, what we see... You know, with our eyes and what we experience with our senses. He's sitting in prison, but he rejoices, right? He's in the natural, he's in prison, right? But according to God's perspective, the gospel is being advanced, right? Uh, he, says, he says, Christ in me is to live, to die is to gain. The world would say, to enjoy life is to live, right? And to die is to lose, right? That's like how the, the world would see, you know, life. But Paul, he reverses it and he, he's... Teaching and he's advocating a completely different paradigm to what the world would seem as normal and natural. Um, Chapter 2, he says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's like, even if I'm martyred, even if I die, even if like... You know, like they hang me, you know, like even if they you know, cut off my head or like whatever they do, even if I die for your faith or for the faith of those that are going to be converted to, Christ, to Christianity, right? He's like, like I, I consider that joy in my heart, right? So it's this, it's, it's, it's this life where he's basing everything not on what he sees, but, what he, what, but, but what's in the spirit. In last week's passage, Pastor, Preach, uh, Pastor Susie preached on it. I, I saw the sermon. It was really good. He says, do not be anxious about what you, what you see in the natural, right? Don't let the things of the natural world, you, what you're experiencing, your circumstances, make you anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, you know, make your request be known to God with thanksgiving. And he will give you peace. He will, a peace the, the peace of the Lord will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, like, don't let what's in the natural, right, your circumstances, dictate who you are and how you are. Right? This is a running theme Throughout a lot of uh, Apostle Paul's writing. And I believe that this theme that Paul includes in the letter is because of the circumstances that he's in. Right? He's sitting in prison, right? right? In the natural, he seems like he's defeated. Right? The people have locked him up. They're trying to, they're trying to like execute him, right? They're trying to basically like, like, you know, like, you know, you know, kill him. And yet the gospel is advancing. God's will is being done. And God's providence is being displayed. Right? This is the mindset that Paul tries to get into the Philippians' minds. This is a mindset that he's trying to, like the Bible is trying to get into our minds. Right? Do not be, do not base your life on what you see in the natural. And all throughout the chapters, Apostle Paul has been exhorting the church in Philippi 
to have this mindset, right? To have this paradigm. Rejoice in the Lord always, right? And again, I say rejoice, right? doesn't matter what you see in the natural. It doesn't matter what you see around you. No matter the circumstances you're in, rejoice, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain, right? It says, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that, right? What are you striving for? What are you like? This, this crazy life that you're living for, right? Like the natural person would see that as rubbish, like what is, like you're like getting beat up, you're getting in prison, shipwrecked, like Paul describes it in the Bible. He gets messed up, he gets, le- he gets beaten so bad, they think he's dead, and so they're like, alright, he's dead, let's move on. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and he's like, I'm not dead. And he continues to do what he's, like he wants to do. And in the natural, the natural man, the man would think that as like crazy. But Paul is saying, I do not defi- like don't be defined by what you see in the natural. Because I, our identity comes from what is unseen. Our, 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 we are defined by what is unseen. And we're not defined by our circumstances. We're not defined by like what we see around us. We're defined by the spiritual work of God that is in us. Right? God is working in us. Holy Spirit is in us. He's doing a work. And it says, that is more of a reality to you than what you see around you. And today's passage... I believe the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into his current circumstances. Right? He's in prison, and the Philippians were able to send him a financial gift. Right? He's in prison. You know, like when you're in prison, you, you can receive money, right? So they were able to give him a fi- financial gift. And so he, he says, um, what did he say? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's like, I'm glad you were able to send me some money, right? I know you wanted to send it earlier, but you couldn't. You had no opportunity. I ain't mad at you, right? It's like, it's all good. And here we have what I believe is Apostle Paul's Paul's key. He says it's his secret to remain in this mindset of not being defined and not living our lives based on what we see in the natural. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And this passage tells us something about our lives. Right? We will always have peaks and we will always have valleys. Right? We will always have highs. And we will always have lows. Everybody say peak. peak. Yes. Right? You know, you, we were at Caribbean Bay the other day. right? And it was a peak. Right? It was fun, man. We had great weather. Right? And JP was at the office right, while Pauline was you know, having fun with us. And he, that was a low. Right? <laughs> that was a valley for him because homie suffers from FOMO. Right? One of the, the, the most, most FOMO person I know, right? We all have peaks and we all have valleys, right? We all have abundance and we will always have need, right? There will always be this paradigm in our lives. There's joy and pain, right? Sunshine and rain, right? These are things that will continue to be in our lives. And this is what makes life, life. Right? If life was just a constant increase, right? It wouldn't really be enjoyable, right? Because we just know what's coming. Constant increase, right? 
Or if it was a constant depression, we'd all probably kill ourselves, right? But, but there are peaks. There are abundance. Their days are great, right? And, and there are days that you, like, you don't even want to get out of bed, right? This is what makes life life. Jesus never said that if you follow me, it will always be rainbows and unicorns, right? He never said that we'll always have good days. He said, in the world, you will have what? Tribulation, right? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And how many of you guys know that the peaks as well as the valleys are ordained by God? The good times and the bad times are ordained by God. He wants you to experience the good. He wants you to experience the highs, right? Where everything's, you're just like, what JP felt when he got married. I saw his face, man. He's just so happy. His permaflex smile, like, (laughs) nothing can bring him down, right? He wants us to experience that. But he also wants us to experience the lows. They're ordained by God. That God wants you to experience all of the good things, you know, like, you know, the joy. But he also wants us to experience the bad. You know, the, you know like, like he, Jesus said that we will have, he came that we may have what, abundance, right? But so many times, we, we only think about the good stuff. We think when Jesus came, He's going to give us abundance. Like We're only going to get the good stuff. We think, oh, the good stuff. We're going to get what we want, a life that's easy and fun, right? In a nutshell, all of your Instagram accounts, right? You think the abundant life is like what you see on Instagram because you only put the good stuff on Instagram, right? Right, like some of your, some of your Instagram, Instagram games is, is it's fierce, like Pauline, right? We were, we were at Caribbean Bay. And then, like, I, I just checked. Inst- I was, like, doing something. I just checked. And something that happened three minutes ago, I was looking. I was like, this literally happened three minutes ago, right? And I was like, with the quickness. And we put, we put all of our, Mina does this as well. I'm not putting anybody down, you know. We all put our, our good stuff, right? The stuff that we want, you know. And that's what we think about God's abundance. Oh, just the good stuff. But we have to understand, God's understanding of abundance is very different than our understanding of abundance. As a matter of fact, because He loves us, what does He do to us? He disciplines us. And when we think about that word discipline, we think about how our kids think about discipline, right? Ethan and Ezra, when they do something bad, when they do something wrong, they get a meme, right? You guys know what a meme is? A spanking, right? We spank our kids, right? If we... If you're not down with that, I don't care, right? We spank our kids, right? They get a amendment. Why? Because they did something bad, right? They did something dangerous. Especially when they do something dangerous, we spank them, right? It's like when, like, they run out into the street, and I'm like, Ethan, you can't do that, right? You're going to get it, because it's so, you know? And so, but, but that's how we think about discipline. I did something bad, and so now I'm being disciplined. But how many of you guys know that when God disciplines us, he sometimes, and a lot of times He does this, He disciplines us when we're doing good. A lot of times the discipline that we have in our lives, sometimes we see it as the lows of our lives, right? right? Sometimes we get that because we're actually doing something right. That God has lessons for you. Like real lessons, like gems and jewels of His wisdom and of His providence, of His sovereignty... Like the abundance that Jesus talks about, 
Right? He has it for you in the valley. And you can only find it in the valley. You can't find it in the peaks. He has lessons for you that can only be found in the valley. And you have to be able to walk through the valley for you to get those lessons. He brings you there because you're actually doing something right. The peaks and valleys, the highs and lows, the abundance and the lack are ordained by God. And we have to know this because it's the only way that this is the only way that we're able to, we're going to be able to finish the race that is set before us. Right? Like in I think JP talked about like a marathon earlier, right? You train for a marathon only running downhill, you're not going to finish that race. Right? If you train for a marathon on a treadmill set at 1, right? No matter how much you run, you're just not going to finish that race. But God ordains the highs and He ordains the lows. The abundance and the lack. The peaks and the valleys. And everything in between. He has lessons of growth and maturity for you. And you can only learn some of these lessons when you're in the valley. When you're in the lows. But what do we do? As soon as things get like uncomfortable, right? And as soon as you know, like, things start to go wrong, we get all panicky, right? We're like, oh, what am I going to do? We get all fleshly and we start to blame ourselves or we start to blame others or we blame God, right? We get all anxious and fearful and we start leaning on our own understanding. This is what I do, right? Mina, she has more faith than me, right? Mina, she's more holy than me. She's, she's just a better person. She's annoying that way, right? But when I, like when something happens, right? When something goes wrong, I just, I start to get fearful. Like, oh, what am I? And I try to get myself out of it as soon as I can. Try to get out of that valley as quick as I can. I, I sit me in that man, my love, what are we gonna do? We gotta we, we gotta fix this. Like financially, something's wrong. We're like, all right, how are we gonna fix this? How are we gonna what, 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 what are we gonna do, right? How are we gonna get out of this? Now, that's my go-to move. But God wants me in the valley, He wants me to stick it out, He wants me to remain there and push through so that I can le- learn the lessons that He has for me in the lows. How many of you guys like being in the lows? How many of you guys like having only like sammanan in your account? Right? How many of you guys, you know, and we talk about, oh, God's blessing. Well, what if God's blessing for you at this hour is for you to only have sammanan in your account? It's uncomfortable. But God might actually want you to be there so that He can actually teach you a lesson. But we try to get out of the valley as quick as we can. Or at least that's me, Right? And we never learn the lessons that God has for us in the lows, in the lack. We always think lack is not good. It's not from God. Right? And then a lot of people preach that way. They're like, oh, you have no lack in Christ Jesus. Well, sometimes you have lack. Does that mean you're not a good Christian? No. Just God might want you to be in lack for a season so you can learn the lessons that He has for you. We try, we try to get out. We try to get out with a quickness. But God has lessons for us in our lows. He has lessons for us in our lack. He has lessons for us in our weakness. But we're too afraid or too immature to stay to learn those lessons. Now God wants us to teach us that we can rejoice not just in the peaks. But we can also rejoice in the valley. 
You know, rejoicing in the peaks is easy. Life is going well. Ha! Rejoice! When everything's all honky-dory and you're like, things you got like, you know, like, you know, mad money in your bank account. You just got that job. A girl you asked out said yes. Yeah, you know, it feels good. I rejoice, Lord, right? Rejoice. Hallelujah. You know, like. But he also wants us to learn to rejoice in the valley. When she says, no, I don't want anything to do with you. I had that. I liked this girl for a year and a half. Mina knows the story. Saved up all this money, asked her out. We went on five dates and she said, I don't want anything to do with you. She said, Caleb, you're too loud. I said, I could be quiet. And she said, no. But we need to learn how to rejoice in the valley. And Paul tells us the key in how we can have this mindset, right? He says, this is his key. It's his, it's his secret. And he's going to tell us his secret. And it says, it's to be content. Right? To be content. In all circumstances. There's power in contentment. Right? I've learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't like that word content. Because it sounds so complacent, right? It's like, Tom Brady, you just won the Super Bowl for like the hundredth time. What do you, how do you feel? It's like, I feel content, right? It doesn't sound like, you know, like it, but in this, this word, in this context... It has such a deep meaning, right? And if you look at the Greek word that is used for it, it means sufficient. It means satisfied. Right? In the Greek lexicon, it means sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. And then Paul says that his contentment comes from Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The phrase, I can do, right? In the Greek, it's pronounced ishul. I can't wait to learn Greek when I go to seminary, right? Ishul. You have to pronounce it like that. Ishul. And the first definition is to be strong. Right? It's not I can do. It's like I could be strong. Right? I could be strong. The second definition is to have power. So I could have power. Right? Through who? Through, through, through my abilities? No, through Christ. Who strengthens you and gives you the power to endure. To be in the valley. So I believe a better translation of this passage is, whether things are great or things are terrible, whether I am on top of the world or in the lowliest part of your life, I can be strong. I can have power. Because Jesus is the source of my contentment. He's the source of my satisfaction. He's the source of my sufficiency. I am content in Him. His contentment, His satisfaction, His sufficiency comes from Jesus Christ. His strength to rejoice in the lowest of lows comes from the person of Jesus Christ. That passage, Philippians 4.13, a lot of people use it to like encourage themselves, right? Steph Curry writes it on his shoe, right? He used to write it on his shoe, I could do all things, right? You know, and I'm not putting Steph Curry down, right? I just don't like him as a basketball player and not as a human being. The Warriors beat up on the Lakers for like a whole decade, right? So I don't like him as a basketball player, but I have nothing against him. I'm not putting him down for putting on his shoes, but this passage has less to do with being in the NBA Finals, right? On top of the world, 
right, in the spotlight, making that, tr- going for that three-point shot to win the game and making it, and having everybody score around you like, yeah, has less to do with that and has more to do with being in the lowest of lows, right? You, you feel like a loser, right? You, 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 like, you know, you're not even at the game, right? And it's being in the lowest of lows, being in that place where you just feel like, you know, you just feel bad. You just, you just feel horrible. And then you look to Jesus and you find the contentment. You find, like, the sufficiency. He is enough in this valley. He is enough. His strength is enough. His power is enough in this valley. Here's the thing. Rejoicing in the valley is not about covering up the pain. Jesus is not a patch that you put on so you feel numb to the pain in the valley, right? It's not a mantra that you get tattooed on your arm. It's not something that you ride on your shoes. He's a person. Rejoicing in the valley looks very different, right? It's not about smiling through the pain or putting a silver lining on things. Rejoicing in the valley is experiencing the pain. Experiencing the pain of the lack. Experiencing the pain of the trial and the sorrow and the suffering and the mourning. You experience it is because that's where the lesson comes from, right? A lot of us, like, you know, this is me. Tommy should be better than me, right? I just want to numb myself, right? Like, like, you know, Jesus, you know, he's, you know, like a joint that I smoke and I feel better, you know, like... I just want to get out of this low. Like, Jesus, you know, get me out. But rejoicing in the valley is not about, like, being numb to the pain. It's experiencing the pain and saying, Jesus is enough. He's He's enough. This is the worst I've ever felt in my life. And it's like, Jesus is enough. It's experiencing all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the lows. And finding and choosing the person of Jesus Christ who is with you in that valley. And saying, you know what, Jesus? You're enough. I'm content in you. You know, like Pauline and and JP came to our house last week. They stayed with us for a few days. And we got to talking. And then we got to talking about like like difficult things. Stages in our marriage and in our life. And I remember about three, four years ago, in like, you guys know about, um, what's, what's homeboy's name? Alan Hood. I forgot his name. Alan Hood told us at that retreat that if you went there, he said, that in your life, you will experience like two to three life altering, life shattering events that you will go through in your life, right? Three, two to three things that would just like rock you to the core. And we, me and me and I, I believe we went through our, First thing like that, a couple of years ago, right? It was, it was like, we were going through ministry. We've been doing ministry about like six, seven years. It was like, and then we had all of these like, like interpersonal, like, you know, issues with like people at our church and our marriage was suffering, right? And then it was, it's because of ministry. Ministry is hard, you guys. You guys know that ministry can like suck the soul, <laughs> like suck the, the marrow of life out of your bones sometimes, right? That's what it feels like, right? And, and that's what it felt like for me. I felt like, I felt so bad. And then, I, and then Mina had the luxury of being getting depression, right? She got all depressed. 
And like, she's like, I don't want to do anything in church. And I was like, oh, how do I? So I had to do everything. I have no JP to lean on, right? I'm by myself in Busan, right? So I'm like putting up a smile. I'm doing Sunday service, preaching every Sunday, right? Doing all, doing everything I can. And then, and, and, and you know, and like we had all of these problems. And, you know, like Mina and I, you know, because of ministry, there was like this strife that, and, and this like, you know, division that came between us. Right? And, and, and she felt hurt and I felt hurt and, and she felt not understood and I felt like, you know, not supported. Right? It was this, this horrible time in our life. It was probably the lowest point that I've, you know, I've been in prison and this is still the lowest point of my life. The most difficult point in my life that I've ever experienced in my life. Like there were moments where I was like, I'm going to quit ministry. I don't care about God's calling in my life. That's how I felt, right? It was one of the hardest things that we'd have to go through. But why did I share this? I look back at that now and I realize that we were rejoicing in the valley. There, was, there wasn't a lot of laughter. There wasn't a lot of smiling. It didn't seem like rejoicing. But it was rejoicing because at the end of the day, we had to constantly choose Jesus Christ. You know that? At the end of every Sunday, I remember feeling like, crap. I want to say the S word right now, but I can't. Because I'm a pastor, right? But I felt like it, man. I felt like a fake. I felt like a phony. But at the end of the day, I'll go home. I felt really bad. And there were times I was like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And then, and then Jesus, he said, come on, you got to choose me, you know? And I remember like feeling so low. But in those moments, I didn't look like I was rejoicing. But I was rejoicing. Because I got to choose Jesus. I got to say, Jesus... I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going after you. because, like, My life looks like crap right now. I don't feel good. And I know some of you guys feel like that sometimes, right? Some of you guys feel like, I have my life just not there. But then you choose Jesus in that moment. That you're rejoicing in that moment. Rejoicing is not about smiles. Rejoicing is not about feeling good. It's not about emotions. Emotions are deceptive. I'm speaking to so many melancholies and you're introverts right now, right? Because some of you guys don't rejoice like that. You know, like, ah, rejoice in the Lord, right? Like, call God daddy. Like, oh, daddy, you know? You guys don't feel that way. But you choose Jesus, you're rejoicing. It's this moment where you're, you're, you're saying, God, my, what I look in the natural, I don't want to be defined by what I see in the natural. Because I'm at a low in my life. But I'm going to choose you, Jesus. And when you do that, you don't feel happy. Right? You don't feel happy. You don't feel, you know, that joy. It's not there. But it's a, it's a choice. You know that choices are more powerful than, than emotions. You know, unforgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. God tells us to do it. Right? Choosing Jesus... Is more powerful than you feeling good about your life. And he showed me a definition of rejoicing in him. And it was finding and encountering and choosing him. No matter what it looked like in the natural. No matter how I felt emotionally. Despite the pain and the sorrow. You choose him. And you learn to rejoice in the valley. Right? You learn to rejoice in that low. And then that's, in the, that's the place where he's going to teach you. You see that? You see that? And then I was like, yeah. I remember 
He's like, you see why you're doing this, Caleb? And I was like, yeah, I know why. I know why. But I had to be there for me to feel it. And I had to be there for me to experience it. So I can actually learn it, right? That's where, I, that's where God told me, like, you could go to seminary. And I said, oh, no. I'm not. And he said, I'm going to teach you a lesson right here. And he just blew, he blew my life up. You need to be with him in the lows so that you can experience him also in the highs. True rejoicing has less to do with how you feel and everything to do with the person. The person of Jesus Christ. If rejoicing was something that we only do when we feel happy, we'll only rejoice at Caribbean Bay. You know that? But true rejoicing... Isn't about how we feel or about our emotions or how, you know, like what's happening in our lives. It's a choice. It has less to do with your emotions, everything to do with who Jesus is. And you choose Him, saying, You are enough. You are enough in this situation. And there's power in that. There's power in that contentment. That's contentment. God doesn't care about what you look like in the natural. He doesn't care about what you look like in the outside. But he cares about how you are in the inside. And he's going to be able to get at your, your inside, right? Not through your outside. Not through your circumstances. But, but he's going to experience you. He's going to, he's going to reach you in the spirit, right? You keep on looking at the natural. You're going to miss it. You know those people, you tell them a joke, it just flies right over their heads, right? God tells you something. You're just looking at the natural, Looking at my job. Looking at this. Looking at that. And he just goes right over your head. He cares about your heart more than what you are on the outside. And, and, and you know, we live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes your life is going to be like a dumpster fire, right? Your life is just going to look horrible. But it's in those moments you have to see God's narrative. You've got to seek God, what God is doing in the, in the spirit. And seek what he's doing. Seek his paradigm. Seek his perspective. And as, as you're able to see that perspective, you realize, ah, this is, what, this is why God has me here. And we stop blaming God. How many of you guys have blamed God? God, why are you doing this to me? I do that all the time. I pray to God and a lot of times it's just a blame game. God, why is this happening in my life? God, why are you doing to me in my life? God, why can't you do this? God, why can't you do that? But when we're able to experience him in that place in the valley, we're like, God, I see why you have me here. I see why this is happening to me. I see what you're doing through these trials and through these difficulties. And, and I want to close out this series. Is When you live like this, you change the atmosphere. The great example of it is Paul, right? And I, I got this from a, uh, I'm not actually crying anymore. This is, I'm hot. Right? <laughs> a lot of this is just sweat. Right? This mask right now feels like, I don't know. But Paul, he changes the atmosphere, right? And I got this from a, from a Bible commentary. He's like, be a thermostat. Don't be a thermometer. The thermometer basically fluctuates based on the atmosphere, right? If it's cold, it goes down. If it's hot, it goes up. But a thermostat, and you know all your ACs and all your ondos has a thermostat. You set it at a certain temperature, and your atmosphere conforms to what that temperature is, right? 
And when you live your life like this, and this is how Paul lived his life, right? He changed the atmosphere. People were drawn to him. He's in prison and he's changing the, the lives of the guards. He's bringing the guards, the people that actually works for the people that want to, to execute him. He's bringing them to Christianity. He's bringing them to salvation. He's doing this because he's living this life where he's not dictated by the natural, but he's dictated by what he sees in the spirit, what he's experiencing in the spirit. He's in prison. They want to execute him. And then the imperial guards, the guards that they hire to guard him, right, are converted, are transformed. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, right? These are people that are working for Caesar's household. They're, right, they're greeting them in, in the spirit of Jesus Christ because they've been converted. The way that Paul lived his life transformed the atmosphere around him. I, I, I guarantee you, when you start to live your life not being based on the natural, what you see in the natural, what you're experiencing naturally, you base your life by the word of God and by the spirit of God at work in your life, you will change the atmosphere. Some of you guys, some of the most, the, the biggest difficulties that you're having is at your workplace. Right, who, let me, show of hands. What, what is the source of your, your difficulties in your life? Is it your workplace? Raise your hand if, if it's true. Right? Well, some, some of you guys have good employment, right? <laughs> Mina was working for this hagwon, and dude, she would cry and weep at night. Because it was so hard, right? So difficult, right? But then, but but she, I, I I you know like she's a great woman, I married well. She she set the atmosphere, right? She 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 chose not to look at what what's happening in the natural, but by the spirit. And then you know what happened? All of the people that were working there, not no, not the management because they are wicked people, <laughs> but like the fellow teachers were drawn to her. She, they came over to our house to have dinner and like. They, 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 even after they all stopped working there, would go out to dinner and like hang out. And I was like, how is this possible, right? It's because because she, she set the atmosphere. She wasn't basing things on the natural. She was basing things by, the, by what she felt and what she experienced through the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. I want to tell you, when you live your life like this, you do change the atmosphere. You do change what's happening around you. You, you become the thermostat and not the thermometer. We have to learn to be content in the Lord despite our circumstances because, you know, in the highs, He will humble you. You know, when things are going well, what, what God wants to do is He wants to humble you. He wants you to learn humility in the highs. And He wants to teach you in the lows. Right? I will close with this last thought. It's like a, a nugget of wisdom from this old man. I want to tell you to seek the Lord in the peaks so that you could trust Him in the valley. A lot of times, this is me, you know, in the highs, when things are going great, Jesus becomes my homeboy. And I get really self-sufficient. He's like, oh, you're my friend, Jesus. Oh, I love you so much. But you know what? I want to do things my way. Things are going well. I think, I, you know, I'm just going to keep this course. And then bad things happen. And I'm like, ah, oh, I fall apart. I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus, yeah, help me, Lord, you know. But what God wants you to do is he wants you to seek him in the highs. And, and we have to learn to do this. When things are going well, we have to learn to seek him. 
Because if you seek him in the highs, you learn to trust him in the valley. You can't trust him in the valley if you're not seeking him in the high. Do you know that? This is my life. I've tried it. Right? I tried to seek him. I tried to trust him in the lows. Right? Without seeking him in the high. And it's difficult. You feel fear. You feel anxious. You know? But if you're encountering him in the highs... When things are going well for you, you get that job that you want. You get that promotion that you want, right? Things are going well. Like she said, yes. And you get married, right? Yeah. And you seek him there. You, you hunger after him there. I guarantee you, you're going to be able to trust him in the lows. You're gonna, when things go bad, you're like, God, I trust you. Right? This, is, this, is a, this is a life lesson that God wants us to have. Seek Him when in the highs. And this is what Paul is saying. Right? Learn to be contentment. Whether you're living, things are going up here, you have abundance, everything's great. Or whether you're in the lows and everything sucks, right? you learn contentment. And it can only come by seeking Him. Seeking His presence. Seeking who He is. And you learn that He's always with you. Whether it's in the highs or whether it's in the lows. Whether you have abundance or whether you have lack. He's with you. And you can be strong. You can be as cool, right? You can, you can have the power that Jesus has for you. But you have to seek Him. I guarantee you, when you seek Him in the highs, right, when things are going well for you, you say, God, I want you even more. I want to hunger after you. Right? When, that, when the lows come, it's not going to be as bad. You, you're going to realize how strong you actually are. In Christ Jesus. That He is your contentment. That He is your satisfaction. That He is your sufficiency. 